Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, folks, Zach Ostrom here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. It is Tuesday, September 12th, 2023. This is Mind Your Banners, second Mind Your Banners in a week. You you know it's a, a big week for IU football when we're doing two of these podcasts uh, in one week. And it is a big week for IU. The Hoosiers play Louisville on Saturday afternoon. I think everyone has circled this as one of those sort of swing games that Indiana's got to maybe try and find a way to win if it is going to get to bowl eligibility in 2023. And Louisville is a fascinating matchup, not least because this was at one, at one time supposed to be a three-year series, and it looks like we're only going to see it once. Um, but a familiar face on the opposite sideline, Jeff Brom, who, of course, Indiana's faced for the last several years in the uh, old open bucket rivalry and a very much new look in some ways uh, Louisville football program. And with me to talk about it is the estimable CL Brown from the uh, Louisville career journal. Thank you so much CL for joining us. Of course. Anytime Zach looking, looking forward to Saturday's game. It should be fun. Indiana's played uh, Indiana's had mixed results in Indianapolis. They won their last game at Lucas oil. When they played Ball State there in 2019, but I, I want to say the last one they played before that, they lost to Ball State. So um, it, it kind of comes and goes for Indiana and Indianapolis a little bit. I think the first question, I mean, I think Indiana fans probably just sort of see Jeff Brom and feel like there's an extent to which they sort of know what they're going to get, particularly offensively. It's, of course, his first year, first couple games of his first season, but just kind of, I mean, where do you think he is in the process of kind of making that program his own, it's really easy to sort of see Jeff Brown at Louisville and feel like he's been there forever just because of the Brown family connections. But it is still year one. Just kind of what what's the the process been like for him? Yeah, I think um, as soon as he took the job, pretty much it, the program became his, regardless of style of play or anything like that, if that makes sense. Like, this has been a while in the making because, as you remember, the first time they reached out or, you know, one wanted him, um, it, it wasn't a strong push because Brom was like, no, nah, I'm good <laughs> at Purdue. Uh, I'm going to stick this out a little while longer here. And so, uh, you know, with, with that kind of initial rejection, if you will, that that made the build up for this time around all the better and bigger in terms of the anticipation of it. So it's just been a love fest, <laughs> you know, with the with the fans and Braun being back home. In terms of the actual play on the field, I don't think this offense yet is is really gonna be what Jeff Braun brings to the table and kind of his signatures from from his time at Purdue. Because I, I, I think there are so many different new faces and moving parts. They, they hit the portal hard, brought in 24, uh, 24 transfers, including the quarterback, Jack Plummer, who played at Purdue. And um, it's still kind of taking shape. I, I, I don't think this team is, is, gonna, is passing kind of the way that he wants them to. 
and it is right now a team that is is very balanced and even runs a little bit more um, than probably his teams typically had at Purdue. But it's you you can kind of see where it's going. This is a long winded way of saying that that Jeff Brom's stamp is 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 already here, and you know it's it's only going to get kind of more crystallized as the season goes on. You mentioned the transfers, and uh, I mean Indiana's taken probably maybe I think even more than that over the last couple cycles. Um, there was probably a time when you felt like that much roster turnover in a coach's first season was maybe reflective of a, a big rebuild being required or whatever. But obviously that's more commonplace now just in general. And, you know, as you mentioned there, I think Brom took a, a, a small handful of guys, even from Purdue that maybe could bring, you know, some of that institutional knowledge of the way he works with them. But like, I guess to some extent you said it, it, you know, it became his program kind of from day one. I mean, to some extent, like no matter what the composition of the roster in year one had been, was it, was this always essentially almost, I don't know if you want to call it a year zero, but going to be more sort of defined as a a sort of year of free football for Brahm in a way that, you know, everybody was just going to be sort of excited he was home, recognize any coach in year one is going to need some time. And even in the portal era where a roster has to, is going to be expected to turn over a little bit more than the average, it's still going to be defined mostly by the coach, not by, you know, how everything's moving around him, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I do think he kind of gets that pass from the fan base, but I don't think he feels that way. He's, he's talked several times about feeling the pressure of being home because he wants to do so well for his friends, his family, for the city. And that's kind of been been his motivation and kind of been, you know, the, the fear, for lack of a better word, the good fear that kind of drives him right now. and. It was funny in the opener at Georgia, well, technically neutral site like this one against Georgia Tech in Atlanta. They played in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. They're down, gave up 28 points in the second quarter. They're down 28-13 at halftime. And he basically lights into the team at half and and made a lot of different adjustments for that put them in position to own the second half, which they did and, you know, came away with the win. And I just thought that that was something to me that I felt like maybe a coach who did feel like they were getting a free pass doesn't approach it the same way, uh, maybe stay stubborn with what they're trying to do. So maybe they're like, OK, we might take this loss, but long term, this is how I want it to be. But he didn't do it that way because they, they were passing in the first half. They had more pass attempts and everything when they came out in the second half. They really tried to establish the run in that game, and and with Gerard Jordan uh, kind of being the, their featured back who came on strong at the end of last year, they started feeding him a little bit more and taking the ball out of Plummer's hands to where he was more of a game manager as opposed to a quarterback you're asking to win the game and from making those changes. And they also changed up defensively a bit, too, and didn't play as much man in that second half. But, you know, he, he made the, the right moves to win that game. And I think sometimes, you know, you know how coaches can be <laughs> so set in, this is how we're going to win, that they don't make those moves. And, and you know, Brom 
Brom didn't get in his own way in order to get that win. So I, I think, um, I think very much he's, uh, he's, he's motivated to do more than just have this first year be a write-off kind of year. The, sorry, I was sort of hunting for the mic button. We're doing this on Teams, and normally I use Zoom, and I'm I'm bad at finding the mic button on Zoom, so you can imagine what uh, what Teams is doing. <laughs> no uh, one thing, and, and I, I will confess, I watch more of that Georgia Tech game than obviously the game against Murray State. Um, but one thing that stood out was just, you know, I don't want to make them sound like 2001 Miami, but Louisville just seemed to have a lot of speed, you know, and, and it was at a few different spots in the field. And, of course, Indiana fans will remember what, Jeff Brom could do with guys that were really, really good in space, either making you miss or running away from you or both at Purdue. I think the most obvious example is Rondale Moore, but there were certainly others. Whether it's running the ball, whether it's passing the ball and recognizing that, as you said, you know, it, it, it's only three games in and Brom is still, you know, sort of the, in Louisville, still kind of figuring out what's best and how to operate in his system and all that stuff. Is it fair to say that speed can be an equalizer for this offense, whether it's on the ground or maybe getting some guys out in space in the passing game? You know, whatever the game plan is, whatever's working or isn't, Louisville's just kind of got that ability in a couple different spots to just hit you with a really, really explosive play kind of out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I think um, I actually, here's a shameless plug, wrote that after after they won on Thursday against Murray State. I mean, it. it on one hand, you're looking at it like it's just Murray State, but the fact that Jawar Jordan had a 74-yard touchdown run against Georgia Tech in the fourth quarter of that game, and then he comes back and he pops a, I might have the, the numbers wrong. It was 70. It was either 72 against Georgia Tech and 74 against Murray State, or vice versa. But anyway, he had some long runs, 70-plus-yard runs, um, and he had another 70-plus yarder against Georgia Tech. I mean, against Murray State that got called back for a holding penalty. So he's definitely somebody, you know, playmaking wise that can just pop it. And Jamari Thrash, he's a transfer wide receiver transferred from Georgia State, who's been a big playmaker for them as well. He had three touchdowns, two receiving, one running uh, against Georgia Tech in the opener, and then against uh, against Murray State. He also um, he only had three receptions, but he also had a, a big, big play where he basically catches the ball at the 30 and takes it untouched, you know, the rest of the way for, for a 70-yard touchdown. So, you know, he's he's got some playmakers. I, I, I wrote that those that's the best one-two combination in the ACC, although neither of them, to me, are the most talented individual at their position, but I'm not sure anybody else has a combination like that that they can rely on for for big plays like that. So um, that's the thing. And and I keep going back to that Georgia Tech game in the second half. That was another adjustment they made in the first half of that game. They didn't really get the ball to thrash a lot. They were he wasn't really targeted. Maybe maybe he had two targets in that first half of that game, but he came back strong when they started to to specifically throw the ball to him or, or look for him in the offense. And, you know, that's what helped bust that game wide open. Getting the ball, and I'm not trying to pick on Jack Plummer. I think he's had some good moments with Louisville, and of course he had some good moments at Purdue, but it, it does seem like 
maybe if there's a work in progress in this offense, it's it's him, even with his background with Jeff Brown before Louisville, kind of figuring out how to get that offense in the right places, where to get the ball, the timing of certain things, and just you know, in that way that sometimes even even when you talk about running the football, sometimes it's on a quarterback making sure he checks into the right thing at the line or whatever. Just where do you think kind of plumber is, I guess, in, in terms of it? It seems like there have been some good moments and some bad. Um, I know he threw two picks against Missouri State. I, I don't, you know, those might have been deflected off his hands for all I know. Again, I didn't really watch a ton of that game the way I did the Georgia Tech game. But just where do you feel like plumber is, maybe especially as somebody who would have at least had a little bit more, you know, just kind of knowledge going into this season of Jeff Brom as a coach, Jeff Brom and, and, and the, you know, let's, let's just call it kind of the, I guess the Brom family offense almost. Yeah. Where have you seen his progression and how important is maybe a game like this for him when you, he's already played Georgia tech, but it's a neutral site. You imagine there's going to be a lot of Indiana fans there and, you know, maybe the opportunity to, to, you know, take a step forward in, in a matchup like this. Yeah, I think Plummer, uh, I I was one of the people who probably thought, uh, assumed a little bit too much that because of his knowledge of, of the offense that he was going to be able to plug in rather seamlessly. It's kind of been a, a clunky start, you know, a, a bit. Um, he had, it, where he hasn't pieced it together for an entire game. Like, he had a bad first half against Georgia Tech, came back had a great second half. Uh, but again, I felt like they, they didn't, it wasn't as much pressure on him as crazy as that sounds down 15. They took the ball away from him a bit in the second half and didn't ask him to do everything. But when they did ask him to make the throws, he made the throws. And and part of that Jeff Brom attributed to, to maybe Plummer just being a little bit too anxious and some of the throws he had that were low or behind, you know, you could tell his his footwork was off and he was probably pressing a little bit too much. Um, and then against uh, Murray State, you know, he, he probably had a better game, but that is where you kind of just look at the at the competition level a little bit. Um, uh, one of his interceptions was a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. So it wasn't like, you know, it, it was bad coverage but he did have one pick that you know um he was probably uh you know i'm <laughs> i'm getting these games uh, they're already starting to blend together the georgia tech game was the game where his interception he was just kind of staring the receiver down and you know uh the guy comes over and, and picks him off but uh, anyway he he's 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 got something to prove i would say still you know, um, he hasn't has had a, a seamless game from start to finish yet. And given that they're going to start ACC play uh, against Boston College uh, next week, you know, it, it's something that it, he probably needs to do. Well, I, Georgia Tech was a conference game, but they're, they're going to be in the in the, you know, heat of conference play after this week. So, um it's something that he he does need to kind of get ironed out as the as the rest of the offense kind of starts to take shape. Uh, Plumbers is somebody who still still has a lot left out there that that you would like to see him do. I guess the other question is is I mean not the other question but the other side of the coin I suppose is you can tell I'm a professional podcast host here is. 
talking about Louisville defensively and, you know, in one respect, it's it's really kind of one bad quarter and eight they've played. I mean, they've allowed six points across seven quarters and then 28 points in one quarter. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, those were all sort of Georgia Tech offensive touchdowns like Indiana's allowed two defensive touchdowns and then a third on a fumble recovery. But it just sort of, I guess – in that game in particular, sort of what do you feel like went wrong in the second quarter against obviously a Georgia Tech team that, that not a lot is expected of this season just in terms of just how quickly Georgia Tech kind of got on top of Louisville and and then how they fixed it? Because, the, again, the flip side is I think Louisville allowed, what, like a, another touchdown pass with a two-point conversion failed in that game, and that's the only other score they've allowed in their first two games. Yeah, and that, that- – touchdown late was kind of one of those they were up 11 they went to basically prevent defense and just kind of allow Georgia Tech to to throw at will and get down the field and score there but that second quarter some of it it was kind of a mixture I felt like some of it was they weren't communicating well like there were guys like leading right up to the snaps and Brom said after the game, sometimes they had gotten calls in late and guys weren't, <clears throat> excuse me, weren't able to line up in the right position, that kind of thing. Um, some of it was poor tackling, you know, they, they had a couple of chances on, on one of the uh, long passes that Georgia tech was able to pop. It was just like guys missed, you know, they had a 48 yarder um, and they had a, a 23 yard, rushing touchdown that they gave up and it was just guys you know just not making the tackle so um and they also had a problem early well in that second quarter of that game with guy with georgia tech's skill players operating in space like when they got out on the perimeter uh whether it was just kind of a flat pass or whatever they were having a hard time getting guys down but some of that they just cleaned up from not playing as much man-to-man in the second half and just having more bodies around to to uh, throw it throw it the ball carrier and they were able to uh, to get that together but yeah the the defense so far I feel like has has started off pretty strong for them um, I think this will be a, a good test as well I think Indiana's probably uh, a little bit ahead of Georgia Tech offensively um and the things they can do and so you know i I don't expect another shutout this week but i I do expect them to be challenged how do you think i mean how do you think louisville approaches indiana because on the on the one hand i think indiana fans were surprised that tom allen after keeping so much close to the vest around the quarterback question didn't necessarily i mean and the kicker right necessarily expecting him to announce that this week they do, so Louisville at least kind of knows who the starter is, and Jeff Brom will know him because Brom would have been you know, recruiting Indianapolis when Taven Jackson was at Center Grove. On the other hand, though, Indiana has played two starkly different games offensively. They ran a bunch of triple option stuff against Ohio State. They were incredibly conservative in the past game, even you know, really until they got down two, three scores in that game. They, were, they just refused to open it up too much. And then against Indiana State, and again, it's a totally different challenge, but they throw the ball a whole lot more. Jackson was really, really good in that game. Just I don't know how much they're ever going to talk about it. Coaches, of course, you know, famously very few coaches like to talk about their game plans publicly. But 
just how do you think Louisville will approach Indiana as a challenge, basically just insofar as trying to figure out what it feels like it can expect Indiana to do offensively when the two games it's got on film are, are going to be so starkly different? Um, that's a very good question that I'm not sure I have a good answer for. Uh, I, I think there defensively, U of L is, is still kind of very much figuring things out. Um, they got beat up in the secondary with some injuries and everything. And the guys that are coming in, like for instance, uh, Cameron Kelly, uh, transfer from, from, <laughs> He's a transfer from Virginia, technically, because he was at North Carolina last season, left to go to Virginia, participated in their spring drills, and then he transferred to Louisville. But he had some type of injury in the spring that kind of slowed his progress down uh, in order, in terms of getting acclimated to U L, and that kind of put him behind. But he ended up being the starter against Murray State. Um, because of the injuries that they already have had in the secondary. Um, this one was to, uh, to Josh Minkins that, that put him in the, the starting lineup. So I, I think for Louisville, they're very much, uh, as opposed to what they're preparing for, they are pretty much just trying to concentrate on what they can do um, uh, defensively because of, of – the the new faces on defense and the moving parts and everything and and really just trying to get their rhythm going. They they are much better against Murray State in terms of how fast they got signals in and things like that. That was kind of the glitch in the in the Georgia Tech game, and and guys were in position to make plays. They were lined up in the right spot and they didn't have a lot of the. The uh, I say finger pointing. It wasn't blame game, but they were literally before snaps against Georgia Tech in that first game. It was like, what's going on? Like, where are we supposed to be? You're supposed to be over here. Let's move this. You know, it, it, there were, there was a lot of looking to the sideline and and just basically uncertainty in that game. Where in game two you saw them be a little bit more. Um, there was a lot more fluidity to it. They they were moving as they should and and being lined up. So I think that as much as what Indiana might do to them, I think that is, you know, what they're, what they'll be focused in on going on, going into the game Saturday. I guess wrap it up here. I'm, I'm loathe to ever ask anyone for a prediction largely because I hate people asking me for predictions, but I, so I often <laughs> find myself phrasing it this way. Just, I guess what, you know, what would be kind of the optimal conditions for, Louisville to do well Saturday. What do you think a Louisville win kind of looks like? And then vice versa, you know, what what do you think is kind of the path that, that maybe opens up toward an Indiana win? Again, recognizing we, we're still early in the season and, and both these teams have taken a lot of transfers and, and one's obviously got a new head coach. So it's not like we can sit here and say definitively that we, you know, we feel like we know what they are. Yeah, yeah. I think um, for Louisville to win, I think it comes down to them kind of establishing this ground game again. And, and as I said earlier, kind of taking some of the pressure and responsibility off of Jack Plummer. So he doesn't have to go out there and pass like 35. I I think if Jack Plummer has 35 attempts, this game uh, passing attempts, this game that bodes well for IU. 
I think they have to keep him to 30 and under by establishing a running game and, and uh, in order to come out with a win. Um, flip side of that is, I think, for IU, I, th- I think Louisville's going to have to make some mistakes for IU to win the game. I, I, um, <laughs> I'm i with you in terms of asking about predictions, but I do make my own kind of uh, uh, point spread. With, using the point spread, I'll, I give out some picks uh, on my podcast, and I think that um, – and I picked UofL to cover the spread in this game, which I think was nine and a half was the, the opening line that I had. Um, I, I just think that the playmakers that, that UofL have could be too much, but if they can get, if IU can get some turnovers early, get get Louisville into some mistakes early on and, and jump out in front and get UofL in a position where they have to pass a lot, I think that would bode well for, for IU. And, um, you know, I don't think Ohio State has the best quarterback situation right now, but I think the way IU played defensively in that game and and kept them in the game, you know, for a long time. I, I think that it's going to be a challenge for, for UofL's offense to uh, to kind of get into a rhythm. So I, I, I do think it'll be a fun game, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. It should be fascinating. Um, as, as I said at the top, I think this is one. Indiana doesn't necessarily have to win it, but I think a win both – in terms of just making the math work and also maybe in terms of the, the confidence boost that we give Indiana. Um, and I agree with you. I, I, I would make Louisville the favorite here and, and, you know, neutral site games are always a little bit harder for me to peg. I'm not the, the, the world's biggest gambler, but um, I do think a win while probably sort of, you know, the less likely outcome for Indiana would, would probably go a long way. Um, to making Indiana feel like it could have the kind of season that it wants to just in terms of that, that sort of early validation. So it's going to be fascinating, just the layers of Tom Allen and Jeff Brom getting back together of, um, you know, Taven Jackson, maybe in his, his first start kind of getting probably something a little bit more balanced in terms of an offensive game plan than just kind of running the, the shotgun triple all the time. And maybe Indiana trying to figure out exactly where it is defensively against teams that aren't Ohio state. So um, see, I'll thank you so much for, for joining us uh, and thank you all for listening. This has been mind your banners for, I, have to, I always have to look at the date to be sure. September 12th, 2023. We'll be back uh, after the game this weekend, recapping Louisville, looking ahead to Akron and probably with a little bit better uh, sense for exactly where this, this IU team is headed in 2023. Thank you all for listening. This has been mind your banners. We'll talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of, uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.